This is a Radio.com original. This is Coronavirus Daily World on Pause. I'm Charles Feldman from the KNX Radio.com studios in Los Angeles. And I'm Mike Simpson. We already know the vaccine rollout has been lacking in the U.S. A lot of doses going unused for whatever reason. Then doses are used in states. They're having a hard time getting more. Pfizer and Moderna say they are working overtime to make more. The federal government says it's releasing them as soon as it gets them. We'll look into what's going on and if things will improve soon. Last time we talked about a new variant in California could be responsible for the states being the latest hotspot. Now scientists explaining how it could be driving the infections. A well-known restaurant chain known for its breakfasts, changing its menu as more and more people stay at home. But we start with the vaccine issues. Dr. Eric Toner, senior scientist at Johns Hopkins Bloomberg School of Public Health, used to work with the CDC. So, doctor, we're hearing about people having difficulty getting a vaccine, and then there's the shortages. So fill us in on what's going on. It's a mess. <laughs> okay. <laughs> and, um, and, and there's an awful lot of finger pointing going on, and it's really hard to determine precisely what are the bottlenecks. Um, you know, many states are saying they don't have enough vaccine. On the other hand, no state is, um, has yet been able to administer um, a significant majority of the vaccine that has been distributed to them. So it's not clear to me that except in some isolated circumstances, more vaccine would be helpful. Um, the federal government's been totally uh, opaque about how much vaccine it has. Uh, there is misinformation about this re- reserve of vaccine that doesn't appear to be in existence now. Um, the, the bottom line is people can't uh, get the information they need to know about when and where they can get vaccinated. Uh, We don't know how much vaccine there is or how much vaccine there will be. However, there is good news. We are vaccinating a heck of a lot more people than we were before. The beginning of this month, we were vaccinating about 200,000 people a day. We're now over a million people a day. Um, So it's looking good. But if we want to vaccinate most of the country by the summer, which is the stated goal, we've got to get to over 3 million vaccinations per day. So we've got a ways to go. Where do the vaccines go when they get sent out? Because a lot of people are still asking that question because we don't actually, it's hard to figure it out. First, it just went to the hospitals, right? Because we were obviously trying to right. get to the ER people. Now, is it health departments and then maybe off to some vaccine sites? We're waiting for the day where they can just get more of these to, you know, Walgreens. Right. So right now, um, the vaccines are going to identify depot locations within each state. So each state has uh, several of these. Um, and from there, they're being distributed to the actual administration sites. I don't know when we'll get to the point where they're being shipped directly to pharmacies or physician offices. I think that'll be a ways away. Now, is all of this because it's a new vaccine. I have I have great difficulty believing that that's uh, and some people claim that that's the reason. I have great difficulty believing that that's the case. I mean, this country gives out how many millions doses of flu vaccines every year, and we manage to do that without screwing it up. Well, it's a matter of uh, scale. So we, on an average year, we give um, tens of thousands of doses of. I mean, excuse me. I misspoke. Tens of millions of doses of a vaccine. We're we're talking now about giving um, many times that. Uh, We have a 
Um, the flu vaccine is relatively easy to handle compared to these, uh, these first two vaccines, the Pfizer and Moderna vaccines, which require a, an extreme cold chain, whereas flu vaccine does not require that. Um, so the, I think the problems that we're experiencing now are related to the fact that we're trying to do something we've never uh, done before on this scale with a vaccine that is um, more difficult to handle and logistically more challenging. So I am hopeful that what we're seeing are the sort of anticipated problems that would get uh, that one would find in ramping up a, a totally new program. Um, but we have to wait and see. Dr. Eric Toner, internist, emergency medicine physician, also senior scientist, Johns Hopkins Bloomberg School of Public Health. A variant of COVID-19 has been found in Southern California, which has been a hotbed of virus activity. Scientists at Cedars-Sinai Medical Center in L.A. have been studying this variant to figure out how it works and how it differs from the regular virus. It's been found in more than a third of patients in the L.A. area. Dr. Jane Plummer, research scientist at Cedars. Doctor, the variant from Southern California, the same as the one we were talking about yesterday up in Northern California? Um, actually, so we know about ours mainly because we um, looked specifically within the Los Angeles population. And so our strain, our, we're calling it the Cal20C strain, contains their variant. So that means we have their variant, which is the L452. But what really designates ours is we've seen a dramatic increase in the Los Angeles population, which kind of coincides with what everybody already knows on, on the radio right now, our huge surge. And our variant, or this strain, we're calling it the Cal20C strain, not only contains the L452 variant, um, but also contains four other mutations. Um, and, and those mutations become important um, in terms of identifying them later and lots of ongoing work right now to see whether or not they're affected by vaccinations. Right. And and I want to be precise here because I noticed that you, you're sort of going back and forth between a variant and, and a new strain. SARS-CoV-2 is, is a strain of the coronavirus, right? Is what you're finding a new strain of the coronavirus family, which would make it problematic, as you know, for vaccines and therapeutics, or is it a variation of SARS-CoV-2? It's a variation. So it's it's very similar to what we already know in terms of the UK variant or strain. Um, this, this is very much the same kind of idea where just like any other virus, the virus SARS-CoV-2 will over time evolve, right? And so as it moves from person to person, like all viruses, it will acquire kind of new mutations or new variants. And so what's really highlighted in this study, I think, is one that not you know not shockingly but california itself and in particular we see the highest increases in the los angeles population kind of allowed for the, this new strain to emerge so when we looked in july for example you know it existed in one out of 1230 covid samples that had been deposited we track it a little bit long and in October, you know, it, it was there, but in our study by November to December, it had started to surge in our Los Angeles population of patients to 36.4%. And, and so it's not, you know, UK has its own strain. We have over a million cases in Los Angeles currently. And so it's not shocking that we allowed the opportunity for this strain to kind of emerge and be passed from person to person. Do we think it's more 
contagious or do we just look at the numbers and, and start to deduce that maybe it might be because the timing matches up with our surge or is this Correct. something where the jury's so, still out? Oh, the jury's still out, but exactly what you said. We, you know, there is a lot of evidence to suggest that it's more infectious, meaning we went from one out of 1230 in July to 36.4%. Um, and we're starting to see it still rise in January. And so we're currently doing that. Um, and so in the meantime, you know, what we know is true is it coincides to the spread, especially during the holidays. So it's not shocking. Our samples came from Thanksgiving over Christmas um, and that we are still seeing it surge, which coincides with our hospitals and ICUs being overwhelmed with the numbers of cases. Um, and so not shocking to see that it's emerging within that time point. Um, I was going to say, but, but, but how can you distinguish, how do you distinguish whether or not it's, it's truly more infectious among a population or the, the social interaction of that population is changed to such a significant degree that this particular variant is now becoming dominant? Correct. I think both are true. So, you know, we do see other strains. So there are other strains that occur within the Los Angeles population, but we can deduce at this point that you know it is increasing in this uh, this strain in particular. Um, but obviously, what we know to be true and has been true probably since the beginning is that it could be more infectious based on the numbers, but SARS is still moving based on our behavior. Dr. Jane Plummer, research scientist, Cedars-Sinai Medical Center. Coming up after this short break, do you like your pancakes hot off the griddle and onto a warm plate? Yes. (laughs) What about into a styrofoam container? When you think uh, IHOP, it's all about the pancakes. You go there, you sit down, you eat your pancakes, you stay a while. The key, though, is you sit down and stay. They also do really good eggs with, like, cheese, like cheesy eggs. Clearly go there a lot. Uh, I used to take my grandma. Uh, People can't do that in areas where restaurants are closed or they're not comfortable dining in, you know, getting pancakes at the sit-down counter. So that's why IHOP is adding menu items, hoping to attract more carryout customers. WBBM's Cisco Cotto talked to business analyst RJ Hodavi about whether this is going to work. Yeah, I think they're learning a lesson that a lot of players have learned uh, through the pandemic, and that is that not all foods travel well with delivery. Uh, obviously, delivery and takeout has been the preferred methods for consumers to get uh, food in this day and age. And uh, I think they're learning that pancakes may not be the best thing to, to travel. And so they're trying some new menu items to, to entice people to come in and also order delivery. Uh, I think they're learning that it, not everybody can be pizza and that you have to get creative on your menu with uh, when it comes to delivery and things that travel well. Are they also struggling with the fact that when you think IHOP, you think sitting down? I mean, you gather the family together, you go in. I mean, this is an hour, hour and a half. It's it's a time of hanging out, and that's just really what they've been a part of ever since they've been around. Yeah, I think that's been a struggle for a lot of full service and casual dining restaurants. Uh, you know, they've spent so much time and effort refining the in restaurant experience, and so to translate that experience to delivery and takeout doesn't always work. And um, we've seen things like like new new menu introductions has, has been a key thing. But you know, a lot of cases streamlining the menu so you can you know make things quicker. Um, things like offering entertainment or movies to go along with the uh, the food is something we've started to see more and more of. Uh, different packaging to make it tr- 
travel further. I mean, it's something that we've seen a lot of uh, players try to get creative on, but I, I'd say that not everybody has figured it out yet. And so, uh, you know, IHOP, I think this is a good step, but you're right. It's difficult overcoming, uh, you know, what people perceive in the restaurant uh, and translate that over to the delivery. You touched on the fact that pancakes, they, they don't really keep well. You know, you have to eat them when they're fresh. Uh, so the menu items that they're introducing, these are things that are designed to be able to keep a little better. Maybe you can eat them 10, 15 minutes after they were made. Yeah, I think that's the the intention here is something that will travel a bit better. And I think we're starting to see a lot of innovation on the packaging side, too. So maybe someday we'll be able to do the, the pancakes through delivery as well. But, yeah, I think this is just something, well, really twofold. One is to, to have a menu that travels better and something that will carry with the average delivery time anywhere between 15 and 30 minutes. Uh, but then also to broaden you know, what people might think of the brand, too. That's one of the other interesting facts about COVID is that yeah, I think a lot of uh, brands are really using this opportunity to reinvent themselves. Uh, it's almost a once-in-a-lifetime opportunity to reinvent what consumers think about them. And so this might be a case just trying to find some new options on the menu. Uh, most of the stuff they're offering looks like it might be uh, higher ticket items as well. So it's an opportunity to take that average price point off. So I think that some of the motivation there, not just you know something that travels well, but also an opportunity to maybe expand what, what consumers think about it while offering some, some potential to take the prices up. Good insight. Thanks so much, R.J. Hanavi, an analyst at Aaron Allen Capital Partners here in Chicago. What do UFOs and coronavirus have in common? Nothing. But they are forever connected in the most recent federal coronavirus relief bill. Lawmakers who want to know more about UFOs tacked on an order for more information on UFOs. Thousands of reported sightings have already been declassified by the government. The clock is now ticking for the Pentagon's discrete program to investigate UFOs as ordered by a clause in the bill. The UAP task force stands for Unidentified Aerial Phenomenon. It has less than 180 days to submit a detailed overview of the U.S. mystery to Congress. Finally, some smart lawmakers. You can find us on the Radio.com app, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and Stitcher. Stitcher.